0: We are going to begin in the book of Matthew, chapter 4. Say what a great uh, weekend it was last Sunday. I was so thankful for all that God did in that service, and I uh, believe that God has so much, so many special things yet in store for us today, this week. Um, here this morning, we're going to dive into a, a topic about. Uh, about living for God, not not only when we come to church, not only when we are here on a Sunday, but uh, let's let every day uh, be uh, a lifestyle of a disciple. I believe that that is what we are called to be—not merely called to be Christian, but called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, we are going to dive into this here this morning uh, with the topic of "I am a disciple." I am. A disciple. And so Matthew chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 18. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Let me get there myself. It says here, Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishers he saith unto them follow me and i will make you fishers of men they straightway left their nets they followed him and going on from thence he saw older or he saw other two brethren james the son of zebedee and john his brother in a ship with zebedee their father mending their nets and he called them and they immediately left the ship and their father, and they followed him. This is one of the very first recorded actions of Jesus within his ministry, within his public ministry. It's not the very first thing that took place as he came out of the wilderness and he faced temptation in the wilderness. Uh, He had a few things that are documented that took place in that time uh, as, as he would go and he would... Uh, declare his intention for his ministry he would proclaim what he came for but then uh just soon after that Jesus came to that sea of Galilee and as he came to that sea of Galilee he came across these two sets of brothers Peter and Andrew and James and John and he found them and he called them out to be his his disciples he found them not in the church, not in the in the religious schools, not not at, off at Bible college, but he found them in their daily life, there at the sea, seaside, casting their nets into the sea, and he asked them, "Would you drop everything, follow me, and become my disciple?" And that's quite a a. Leap of faith for them to do, for these men to to do that. Just kind of put yourself in their shoes. Think of Peter. Now, this is not the first time that they've heard of Jesus. I think that would be shocking to to have somebody, Peter and Andrew and James and John, for them the very first time that a man would walk up for them to just drop everything and say, "Yes, we'll follow you." This isn't the first time they'd heard about him. We see and. Uh, that, that Andrew, he was one of the followers of John the Baptist. He was there the day when Jesus was baptized. He was there when Jesus, or when, when John declared of Jesus that he was the Lamb of God, that he was the one that all of his followers, his converts, they should turn their attention towards Jesus. And so they knew about this man, but for, yet it was still a, a leap of faith for them to say, we'll drop everything. We're going to put our full faith in you and we are going to become a disciple of Jesus. Now, what does it mean for us today? What does it mean for us to be a disciple of Jesus? I don't, I don't, uh, see Jesus walking around or walking into this room, and uh, Right now, physically, and asking anybody to leave their job and following him around the countryside to help serve and help, uh, help him in the capacity of ministry. I don't, I don't see that happening where he would physically walk in here and ask you to whatever it means for you to drop your nets, become a fisher of men. But yet I do believe that Jesus is calling us to be his disciple. I do believe that in this place, that there is a call that's going out. That's He's saying, I want you to come to me. Drop the things that are holding you back in your walk. Drop the things that are no longer going to be necessary for kingdom purposes. And I want you to pursue me fully. And I want you to come learn from me. This is what a disciple was. And so we, we need to. Kind of have an understanding of what took place in that day and age with religious leaders and these uh, rabbis, these wandering rabbis, as Jesus would have been seen as in the early parts of his ministry, especially as one of those rabbis that's going out and he is gaining converts, he's asking people to follow after him. And typically, would be that a rabbi would go to the religious schools or he would go and find somebody who was interested and had pursued ministry on their own and and from them he would bring them to him he would begin to teach them and then they would begin to do some of the work of serving others and helping others teaching others and and they would go and and they themselves would eventually launch off onto their own ministries if that was the progression that they continued to want to go on, and they themselves would one day have disciples for, for them. That was kind of the, the way that things happened in that day. Not that it was normal for somebody just to come up to a fisherman and ask him, would you be my disciple? That was not normal. It was not normal for Jesus to come up to a tax collector and say, hey, put that down, walk away from that, and come and follow me. It's not normal for somebody to go to a zealot, a zealot who he was, this would be Simon the zealot, who he was part of a group of people that uh, they secretly in the, in the dark alleys were scheming how they're going to overthrow the Roman government. They're training. They, they, they know all these actions that they're going to do in order to uh, physically overthrow them. That was, Simon the Zealot that Jesus called to be his disciple. We see these individuals of all different backgrounds, all different occupations, and Jesus went to them and he called them to be his disciple. But what does it mean today? What does it mean for us to say, I am a disciple? How do you know that you're a disciple today? Is it just that we attend church? Is, that, is it that we would even dig into... The word of God, and that we would have let uh, you know that be part of our life. Well, let's let's look here at the profile. What I would say would be the profile for a good 21st century Christian, and I don't say any of this um, disparagingly at all. But a good 21st century Christian is somebody who they experience the new birth. I don't believe that you can really be a Christian without. Experiencing the new birth. That is part of what it means to be a Christian. That you would be born again. This is what Jesus called for us to do. Jesus had that conversation with Nicodemus. This is where we get the terminology of a new birth. from Jesus saying, you must be born again. Born a second time. To be born again. To experience that new birth. That you would repent of your sins. That you would be baptized In Jesus name and that you would have a infilling of his spirit that you would be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's a brand new life. That's experiencing the new birth. The profile for a good Christian is that you would come out of sin. That you would have separation between your past life, a life of sin. That the world, the entrapments of the world, that you would come out from among that. And that you would uh, live a different life than you would have prior. A good Christian is one who faithfully attends church. That there's a, a uh, assembly of the church when we gather together, and we see in Scripture the encouragement to assemble together. The encouragement it says to to come and to especially it says as you see the day approaching. Do it even more so, that we should continue in our faithfulness to gathering together as the church. That's the profile of a good Christian. It's also, hopefully, becoming a faithful steward, a steward of your time, your finances. That's the profile of a good Christian. Let's look at Jesus' profile for his disciples. Jesus' profile for his disciples... We have uh, this coming from Matthew chapter eight, verse twenty and through twenty-two, and Luke chapter fourteen. If you want to turn there, just so you know, I'm not just pulling this out of thin air. Matthew chapter eight, verse twenty, it says here that Jesus said, "The foxes have holes; the birds of the air they have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head." Another of His disciples said unto Him, "Lord, suffer Me first to go." Bury my father, but Jesus said to him, Follow me, let the dead bury their dead. This is not the twelve disciples that he's speaking of here, but this is others who are disciples of Christ. And uh, him calling them unto him and saying, Follow me. You're not going to have anywhere to to... you're going to have to give up your security, give up your home. You are following me wherever you go. You need to be willing to not fulfill the expected cultural norms, which would be going and caring for your elderly parents. When it says here, let the dead bury their dead. Jesus is not speaking to somebody who uh, he would have had a a dead father at that time. Um, If this guy's father would have just died, he wouldn't have been there having this conversation with Jesus. He would have been Bearing his father or taking care of that but rather this is speaking of let me go and care for my elderly parents let me be with, there with them and and then when the time is right when everything falls into place then I, i'll come and I, i'll follow you and yet that and that was the expected cultural norm but yet jesus said i'm not asking for you to do this later i'm asking you to do this now i'm asking you to follow me now Let's go to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, verse 26 through 33. Jesus, again, speaking here, he says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, that's a very strongly worded sentence there that Jesus would even use the word hate towards others and even yourself. And that as strong as he's saying that there, he we see him just as strongly speak of the love that we must have for those individuals that we must love others and express that love. But in comparison to him. In comparison to our dedication to God, he says there needs to be this hate towards father and mother and wife, children, brother and sisters, yourself, that you would put him first, that you would have love, uh, extreme love towards your father, extreme love towards him. Whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower... Sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to find it, or to finish it. Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin it all that behold it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king? Going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able to, with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is a yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. This is Jesus speaking on discipleship. Now, what we get from this whenever Jesus speaks on it, is he's not speaking of some low-level priority. He is not speaking of discipleship ever as something that you can do on a part-time basis. He's never speaking on it in the capacity of like, maybe, you know, I'll be here for you, And and you you know just do whatever you want. If you need me, just call me. No, there's commitment that is involved in being a disciple. You carry your own cross. You count the costs, and you willingly give up everything that you own. We talk about salvation. How salvation is free. He's already paid the the price. That's true. But to be a disciple of Christ, there's a price that you pay. There's a cost. That you have. As a disciple of Jesus. You cannot purchase your way into heaven. You cannot purchase your salvation. But there's a cost. That you give up. There are things that you do that cost you. And that. Is the profile of a disciple. That the profile of a disciple. Seems to be drastically different. From that of a 21st century Christian. Even. Even. Many faithful church going apostolic Christians, a disciple, somebody who is all in, who is completely sold out, somebody who has counted the costs and has decided, I am going to follow Jesus no matter what trouble comes my way. It doesn't matter if I have to carry a cross that's going to lead to my death. I am a disciple of Jesus. It doesn't matter if I have to do things that others don't like, things that, you know, it's expected of me to go and do that and I have to give it up, that I am going to love him so much and I will be a disciple of his to the degree that everybody else comes far behind in second place. So, a disciple in Jesus' terms, is not merely just somebody who has a religious experience. A disciple, in Jesus' terms, is not somebody who has simply had salvation and separated themselves from the world, but that it's somebody who is completely sold out to Jesus Christ. There's more to it than just that, so uh, we'll continue here, but I could say... One of the simplest definitions that I could have of a disciple is that it's a follower of Jesus who's filled with the Spirit of God and who's willing to grow in obedience to whatever God asks. Somebody who follows Jesus, they're filled with the Spirit, they're willing to grow in obedience to whatever God asks. It doesn't matter what He asks, you do it. A disciple is somebody who they respond when Jesus speaks. They go when Jesus tells them to go. They stop when Jesus tells them to stop. A disciple is somebody who is learning from him. A disciple is somebody who is continually learning and growing. That's a disciple. A disciple is an individual who, as uh, as they uh, follow him and his instruction, they apply what he teaches. Learning is a two-way process. You have the teacher. I should say teaching is a, is a two-way process. That You have the teacher, but you, then you have the one who is being taught, and they need to receive it. And so as a disciple, that word, it means a student. Disciple means student. And so as students of Jesus... How are you being taught? How are you being instructed by him? What are you allowing him to speak into your life? What are you allowing him to change? I don't want today to just be somebody who would stand up and say, I am a faithful Christian. I am somebody who has a religious experience. I go to church every uh, every Sunday. But I want to be a everyday disciple of Jesus Christ that He is speaking to me. He is molding me. He's teaching me. I'm learning from Him. I'm learning from His Word and I'm learning from Him as in in times of prayer so that I can be shaped into whatever form He wants me to be. So allowing God to change your priorities is one of the essential Elements of being a disciple. That we all have priorities in our life. Every one of us we have, we have things that, um, you know, that are important to us. And those priorities ought to be uh, rearranged when we become a disciple of Jesus. That if you experience the new birth, but your priorities have not changed, you have not become a disciple. You must experience his transforming work in your life. There is absolutely no substitute for the work of the Spirit in the life of a disciple. The Spirit, as you begin to abide in Christ, as you begin to, uh, to come and to, to let Him be the one who is transforming you from the inside out. It's not, it's not the pressure from others. It's not the pressure from, from, from society or from even the church as a whole. But it is God Rearranging priorities—it's the Holy Spirit coming in and rearranging some priorities in your life, so that you can follow Him fully, so that you can serve Him faithfully. That is a change in priority. I was just talking to a friend of mine uh, just this past week, and he is—he's a pastor of a of a great church, also a business owner, uh, or rather, uh, actually, the story I should start it back a little further. He uh, worked. ...for a, a mortgage company uh, up in Michigan and uh, was a very uh, successful uh, mortgage lender. And uh, in this capacity, he uh, felt impressed about a um, no, I think it was about two years ago... ...now that he, uh, he began to feel that God was impressing on him that he needed to be able to free up some, some time. He only has enough capacity... Um, you know, in his life, we all are constricted by time and that in what he was doing, uh, he, he felt that he was not being a um, he was not able to truly disciple others in the way that he felt God leading him. And so he had a very good relationship with his, his bosses. In fact, it was a partnership uh, that he was even invested into the company. And uh, he began to feel that God was telling him that he needed to go and start his own mortgage company. And in the process of doing so, uh, he said he was resistant to it at first. Uh, but he began to assess his own life and say, "Am I a disciple of his? Am I going to let him change my priorities?" He said, "I have the security where I'm at. I don't know how to start a business. I don't." You know, he's a successful man. I'm sure he would do well. But he was, you know, had some fear and all of that. And so, but. As a disciple, and this was this was the main thing that was driving him. He says, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want him to be able to speak to me. And if he's changing my priorities away from security and into a place of me being able to uh, to still financially support my church and my family, uh, but have a maximum impact on others then I, I'm going to listen to it. And so he listened and he, he stepped out and he started his own company. And in the process of doing so, the company that he worked for, they um, came against him with some lawsuits and he uh, was very hurt by this because he was close to these individuals. And yet in the process of all of this, he said just this past week, uh, things have gone well. His company has done well, but it's been weighing on him in this ongoing lawsuits. And in this past week, one of those business owners, that old friend of his, came to him and apologized, sat, brought him to lunch and apologized for the way that he had treated him and began to weep openly before him and ended up this man uh, has now been baptized in Jesus' name. He's now been filled with the Holy Ghost. And uh, we see the power of what, it, what happens when we will listen as God is calling us and to change our priorities. There's things that are hard to do. There's there's things that for him, he said what's what he has noticed in listening to God in that time of, of changing priorities away from a very stable place, this you know this income that he had and he was comfortable there. He thought You know, this is he had no intentions of leaving. But as God began to work on his heart, he said what did happen is it freed him up not only for that interaction, but he has had time after time after time where God has uh, allowed him to have a kingdom impact within his community because he followed the voice of God and stepped out and did something hard, changed his priorities and allowed God to do a great work in him. You see, There's things in your life, there's things in my life that it's hard sometimes to change our priorities. Especially when, when we, uh, feel God calling us to do things that we don't, or to to give up things that we don't want to give up. We prioritize them for a reason. Sometimes we prioritize, we prioritize things that make us comfortable. And God wants to make us uncomfortable. We prioritize entertainment and rest. And I don't want to speak against rest. I believe rest is biblical. But sometimes we can over-prioritize entertainment and rest to the point that we're not able to go and to serve and make impact in the way that God is calling us as His disciples to make an impact In our everyday life. See, disciple doesn't mean that you come and that you um, teach a class here at the church on how to be a disciple of Jesus. A disciple is when you sit down at a coffee table with somebody else and you have a conversation just about life. You have a conversation about what's going on um, in your life. You are open. You are Uh, vulnerable, you find a place of healing, you find a place of community, you find a place of longing, and then you invite Jesus into those conversations. That is changing priorities. I was in a conversation with some of our leadership team uh, a couple weeks ago about um, myself, and uh, a few years ago, I worked at at Farmer State Bank, and there I would get, uh, I had great banker's hours. Uh, so, we would have like a full uh, hour-long lunch, and uh, it was great. It um, was there right in the middle of the Grange, not the most, um, uh, you know, you don't have a lot to do there, but it was more than where I lived. Oh, I guess not at that time. I lived here in Kinderville. There's probably more here, but um, it was more than where I grew up <laughs> out in the country. Uh, so, uh, I, I, though, prioritized for myself a little bit of just pushing everything back, getting a little exercise in. I would eat lunch quickly, uh, and then I would just go out and I like to walk. I was just like walk on the sidewalk, especially on a nice day um, for myself. I enjoyed, I enjoyed just having that time to myself. And then I began to feel God impressing me and pushing me in some areas. And as a disciple, it was, hey, you need to lean in to a certain uh to have to have some conversations with this one certain uh co-worker of mine and I began instead of going out and doing what I enjoyed doing just having a little bit of time reset time for myself I began to sit down and those conversations that I had uh with this coworker of mine began to turn into very healthy spiritual conversations where we began to talk about uh great things that God was doing and had opportunities to minister to him. And it but it took it took a change in priority. It took a change for myself to say, Hey, I, I need to step away from what I want to do and refocus in my everyday life to be a disciple of His to be able to minister to others. It's a change in my priority. And I know I'm diving deep on some of these things where we're going to run out of time, but this next thing, how to become a disciple. Swap your identity for Christ's identity. <laughs> That sounds, um, very simple in the simple, or in that sentence that I just read, but, uh, it's not, um, always easy because we, we have a lot of things that we want to do that, uh, Christ asks us to give up. But as you abide in Christ, the easier and easier that will become. The more time that you spend abiding in Christ, easier it will be for you to have, take the mind of Christ and let it become your mind. It's in John chapter 15, verses 5 through 8. Let's go there. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch, he's withered, and men gather them, they cast them into the fire, they're burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Abiding in Christ. See, there's this excerpt that I have there on your notes. It's from a great book, Follow the Lead, written by Stan Gleason. He says here Jesus didn't call them friends, associates, or children when he talked about fruitfulness. He called them disciples. By using this term, he emphasized his relationship to them and their commitment to him. And as a disciple, this is this fruit bearing thing that as a disciple, this is a relationship that we have with him. We are committed to him and out of that fruitfulness comes. I'm going to move on. Next thing. Have spiritual offspring. Matthew 28, 19 tells us, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And the New King James Version says, Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them. Go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples this is the expectation of a disciple is that we would have spiritual offspring and as disciples that we would have others that would come from us this was the expectation of any disciple in the days of Jesus that you would be a disciple and that you then would make disciples there's a great book that uh, was written by Dan Grider it's called spiritual conversations in that book he says the self-centered classic Cultural Christianity lifestyle never produces real spiritual maturity. The Father has designed the process of spiritual reproduction to grow and develop us. When we reproduce, we develop a bonding concern for the well-being of someone other than ourselves. That will always create maturity in us. Hmm. Scores of church attenders... Convince themselves they are mature Christians, yet they bear little to no sense of responsibility about reaching people who face a Christless eternity. I know there's some meat to chew on there, but there's a difference between being a good, faithful Christian and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. As a disciple, we have the expectation and you have the not just the expectation, but you have the ability and the power to go into this world and to make disciples. We have this. You have the ability to go and make an impact on others. It is part of our DNA in the new birth that you have been born into to reproduce others. It is part of our DNA to come into a lost world and to give hope. And to guide others into this precious hope. It is part of what we were created to do. In uh, the New Testament we see that it was not merely the, the disciples uh, that Jesus called to himself. They were not the last disciples. And they certainly, uh, these even these New Testament disciples are not the last but we are still uh, being called to be disciples today. I'm going to, uh, rather than going to these passages, you can read them yourself. But we see uh, in Acts chapter 9, Ananias as a disciple of Jesus. He was prayerful enough to hear God's voice, to trust what God was telling him to do. This is the man who he uh, received Saul of Tarsus to himself. When Saul uh, had just had his, his um, moment of, of conversion and Ananias was prayerful enough to receive Saul and to uh, to teach him and to uh, to love him, and he was a disciple of Jesus. We see Peter, and Peter, of course, was a disciple. But not only was he a disciple, there was a man named Cornelius who, even as a Gentile, one who at this time uh, had not yet been, you know, everything opened up to them, uh, but he would be the gateway. He would be the one that was praying to God, and in prayer, uh, Cornelius. Had Peter come to him, and Cornelius would end up receiving the Holy Ghost, be baptized, and then we see Cornelius uh, would be an impact, uh impactful disciple as in, in the early church. We see Aquila and Priscilla and uh them, they're they're mentioned several times in Scripture, but these were disciples uh who they were not divinely appointed, but uh for them, uh one day while they were visiting the temple, they They came and they had an encounter with God and they became disciples and they made a great impact on the kingdom in the uh, the Book of Acts Church. We could have our our music come at this time. I'm going to turn over to that last page. These three distinctive marks of a disciple. The three distinctive marks. And you have the scriptures that are listed there. and But I'm just going to dive into what are these three distinctive marks as we wrap this up today. Distinction number one is that a disciple would have a desire to learn and obey the word of God. That the word of God, this is the lamp to our feet. This is the light to our path. The word of God. Is where you get your spiritual meat. This is the bread. That you open up on a daily basis. And let this be your daily bread. The word of God. Is something not merely. uh, That is meant to be just a. A good idea for us to follow. But it is for us to obey. Completely and wholly. The word of God. Becomes the food of a disciple. It must be the desire of a disciple to learn and to obey the word of God. Distinction number two for a disciple is that they would love with godly love. That we would love others. Jesus said in John 13, He says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That it's by your love that is an identifying mark Of whether or not you're a disciple. He who does not love. Does not know God. For God is love. (laughs) Jesus says. That the world they love others that love them. I'm calling you to go above and beyond that. Love your enemies. Pray for them who despitefully use you. That's the love that he's talking about. He speaks to. To Peter it says, do you love me more than these? This is the question of Peter when he could have walked away. And Jesus is calling him back and says, do you love me? How much do you love me? We must have a love for him. This godly love. A godly love. Then he goes on to ask Peter to feed my sheep. Love my people. (laughs) Distinction number three is... That a disciple would bear fruit. We've already spoken of these three things already. But this third one, I believe, is an essential mark of a disciple. Is that they would bear fruit. Jesus speaks of discipleship over and over and over. And when he does so, he is speaking about how a disciple would have offspring. A tree is known by its fruit. If it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that you can cut it down. He speaks of that in Luke, and he's talking about the fruit that we have. Disciples are those who have the good ground which can bear much fruit. It's the ones who are sowing the seed, and they have, it falls in the good ground because that fruit or that ground can sustain growth. A disciple is the one who they go, they bear fruit. Of course, there's spiritual fruit that you have in your life, but there's also offspring. There's others that you are called to disciple. Well, the very last question, I'll leave you with this. Is are you still a disciple of Jesus? This is not something that you graduate from. None of us, no matter how long we've been in church. No matter how long we've been a Christian. None of us graduate from being a disciple. None of us reach a point or reach a level where we no longer identify ourselves as a disciple. A disciple is somebody who changes what they care about to match and reflect what he cares about. It's somebody who is learning from him and allowing him to change us, mold us. I have these three questions. In fact, if we could all stand in this house. their Sunday school classes. Make their way back in. These uh, four questions here on are you still a disciple of Jesus? First question is who are my primary teachers and instructors? What is it in my life that's instructing me? What is it in my life that's teaching me? Is it is it the news station that I turn on every morning? Is it the podcast that I play in my ear? Is it my coworker? Is it the magazine that I pick up and I read? Is it the Word of God? What is my teacher and my instructor? What is it that is feeding me information for life? What is it that is giving me life? What is my teacher? Who is my teacher? Second question, what has the Spirit and the Word instructed me to do in the past month? Can I point to anything in my life that my teacher is working on me in? Is there an area in my life that I can identify that He is trying to shape me and mold me? And it's not just about faithfulness and it's not just about this or that, but, but it's about Him molding me still today. Did I listen to His instructions? Did I listen to Him as He's trying to, to chisel some things off and He's trying to mold me here and shape me here as He's trying to, to bend me in in certain directions? Did I listen to Him? Third, how am I practicing what I say I believe? I say I believe this. I I identify myself as a Christian. I identify, identify myself as apostolic. I identify myself as believing these words. But how am I practicing it? In what way is my life different because I identify myself with this? Are my beliefs and my practices aligned? If not... We've got some work to do, and every one of us has some work to do in the area of being a disciple of Jesus. And lastly, why am I a disciple? And this goes to the motivation. This question goes to the motivation of why is it that you are a disciple? Why is it? Is it because because somebody asked you to or is it because you know this is just what you grew up in or is it because you have the one who you have you abide with him and as you abide with him he abides in you and you find a love that is deeper than any love that you've ever experienced and out of that you cling to him and you say god mold me and shape me god for me into your image God, I want to be a disciple for the rest of my life, God, where you are making me who I ought to be. Hallelujah, Jesus. I leave these questions with you today. And we're going to just come into a song here right now. Just lift up your hand. Would you just ponder these things? Would you just assess where you're at right now? life is not